0: Well hi Calvary Chapel and hi Church at Five and good evening also from me, my name is Sam and I am i can't actually see you, I was about to say I'm happy to see you again for this uh, Sunday evening service but I look forward to seeing you again uh, soon. Uh, it is Sunday the 24th of May and that means it's our third Sunday evening in our new series here at Church at Five, uh, Humans of the Bible. Now Fabian just read a text for us from Genesis and you might have been thinking, so Who are we going to do this evening? Um, Well, after looking at Adam, the first man, and then last Sunday evening, looking at Job, the the righteous man who suffered, uh, we're going to look this evening at Hannah, and no, Hannah was not in uh, the text, Genesis, that Fabian just read. So, we will read um, from 1 Samuel in just a few moments time, 1 Samuel 1, where the story of Hannah is related to us, but let me give you some brief context. And If you've spent any time reading through the history books of the Old Testament, you may know that Hannah is the mother of Samuel. Samuel was the judge and prophet who anointed both Saul and David as kings of Israel. So just to put us in context in in the historical um, time period, this story, the story of Hannah and Samuel takes place some 300 years after the, the nation of Israel has entered into the land of Canaan, in the time of the Judges, the end of that time, just before the start of the Kingdom and as you would know, again, if you've read the book of Judges, we actually did a series here um, based on some of the Judges uh, some years ago at Church at Five. The time of the Judges was a time of turmoil, it was a time of defeat, often for God's people as they uh, were spiritually corrupt and they followed after foreign gods and so God gave them up and they were dominated by their neighbours it was a time of idolatry, it was a time, as the book often says, of everyone doing what is right in their own eyes. They were yearning for God to save them, they were yearning for a new beginning and a new future. So, that's the time, that's kind of the the atmosphere in Israel at the time our, our story takes place. So, I'm going to read to you now from 1 Samuel, chapter 1, verses 1 through chapter 2, verse 11. I, I really want, this is a, a slightly longer text, it's going to take us about four minutes to read through it, but I want you to hear it as it is uh, the very Word of the Living God and uh, it's from the Old Testament. We don't all often read uh, longer passages from the Old Testament, but as we read this text, it's going to give us the background to the story, it's going to help us understand what's ha- what happens, so that when we look at Hannah uh, in a few moments' time, uh, we'll know uh, what we're looking at, we'll, we'll have heard the story. So, if you've got your Bible, you're welcome to open up to uh, 1 Samuel 1 and we're going to read from chapter 1, verse 1 through chapter 2, verse 11. There was a certain man from Ramathame, a Zufite from the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, son of Jeroham, the son of Elihu, the son of Tohu, the son of Zuf an Ephraimite. He had two wives, one was called Hannah and the other Penina, Penina had children, but Hannah had none. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phineas, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife Penina and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are you weeping? Why don't you eat? Why are you downhearted? Don't I mean more to you than 10 sons? Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now, Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly, and she made a vow, saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant's misery and remember me, and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life, and no razor will ever be used on his head. As she kept on praying to the Lord, Eli observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart, and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered, Go in peace, and may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. She said, May your servant find favor in your eyes. Then she went her way and ate something, and her face was no longer downcast. Early the next morning, they arose and worshipped before the Lord, and then went back to their home at Ramah. Elkanah made love to his wife Hannah, and the Lord remembered her. So in the course of time, Hannah became pregnant and gave birth to a son. She named him Samuel, saying, Because I asked the Lord for him. When her husband Elkanah went up with all his family to offer the annual sacrifice to the Lord and to fulfill his vow, Hannah didn't go. She said to her husband, after the boy is weaned, I will take him and present him before the Lord and he will live there always. Do what seems best to you, her husband Elkanah told her. Stay here until you have weaned him, only may the Lord make good his word. So the woman stayed at home and nursed her son until she had weaned him. After he was weaned, she took the boy with her young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy to Eli and she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I am the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. I prayed for this child and the Lord has granted me what I asked of him. So now I will give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he worshiped the Lord there. Then Hannah prayed and said, "'My heart rejoices in the Lord. "'In the Lord, my horn is lifted high. "'My mouth boasts over my enemies, "'for I delight in your deliverance. "'There is no one holy like the Lord. "'There is no one besides you. "'There is no rock like our God. "'Do not keep talking so proudly "'or let your mouth speak such arrogance. "'For the Lord is a God who knows "'and by him deeds are weighed. "'The bows of the warriors are broken, "'but those who stumbled are armed with strength. Those who are full hire themselves out for food, but those who were hungry are hungry no more. She who was barren has borne seven children, but she who has had many sons pines away. The Lord brings death and makes alive, He brings down to the grave and raises up. The Lord sends poverty and wealth, He humbles and He exalts. He raises the poor from the dust and lifts the needy from the ash heap. He seats them with princes and has them inherit a throne of honour for the foundations of the earth are the Lord's, on them he has set the world. He will guard the feet of his faithful servants, but the wicked will be silenced in the place of darkness. It is not by strength that one prevails. Those who oppose the Lord will be broken. The most high will thunder from heaven. The Lord will judge the ends of the earth. He will give strength to his king and exalt the horn of his anointed. Then Elkanah went home to Ramah, but the boy, Samuel, ministered before the Lord, under Eli the priest. So, that's the Word of the Lord and this is our human of the Bible for this week, Hannah. Now, what can we learn from this text and from Hannah this evening? In his introduction to this series, Brandon mentioned uh, two things that were on our hearts or on his heart uh, for us uh, in this time spent looking at humans of the Bible. Firstly, he said, we can never separate any life, uh, including that here of Hannah, from God's authorship or sovereignty. And I want to get to that in the second part of the message this evening. But Brandon also said, having understood the circumstances and now we've read the story of Hannah, we should have some idea of what was going on and what the, what the cross-section of her life Which scripture gives us is all about, namely her asking for a son, having understood her circumstances, what can we pull out of the story of Hannah for our own humanity as, again, these were real people and real history, so what can we learn from them for ourselves? Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10 in the New Testament that the accounts written down in the Old Testament are written for us, both as examples and warnings and so we should indeed learn from them. So, let's start there, let's look at the person of Hannah, let's see what we can glean from her for ourselves this evening. Now, we're not given an in-depth character study of Hannah's whole life. In fact, after the text we just read, Hannah is not really mentioned again, she's only mentioned briefly in that every year as Samuel grows up at Shiloh, she brings him new clothes when she goes to visit at the annual sacrifice. We're told that she has other sons and daughters, but we're not told much else about her life. So we've been given a cross section of her life with respect to this one situation, namely that she was barren and she prayed to the Lord and asked for a son and he granted her her prayer. Samuel was born and she dedicated him to the Lord. But as it turns out, this one episode in Hannah's life would be of national significance for all of Israel, all of God's people and indeed for all salvation history. Now, the name Hannah means grace or gracious, and we see here from this cross-section of her life how she dealt with this situation, that she is indeed a woman of grace and graciousness. Hannah, if you think about it, is in a difficult situation. She is married, but without children, while her husband's other wife has children. Now, Certainly in that culture, that was a very difficult situation to be in because to be without child, to be barren, as the, the Bible calls it, was an, a matter of great misery as Hannah prayed in her prayer and shame. So it wasn't that just that she was married to her husband and they had been unable to conceive children. Her husband had a second wife and her, the second wife of, of her husband was not barren but indeed had children, so that would have been a very difficult situation for Hannah to be in. But not only that, she was not on good terms with this second wife. The text calls her, this other wife, Penina, her rival and it says that Penina would provoke Hannah in order to irritate and upset her, so much so or to the point where Hannah would weep and refuse to eat anything at the annual sacrifice where the what, what's happening here is that at the annual sacrifice, uh, the families would come up to the tabernacle and using money that they had set aside, they would buy the best food and wine they could and celebrate a feast before the Lord in order to thank Him for His bounty, to worship Him and it's at this special time of worship that Peninnah is actually insulting and provoking Hannah and as the portions of this fine food are doled out to all the sons and daughters that Penina uh, has, has given birth to, Hannah, yes, she receives a double portion from her husband, but she has no sons or daughters of her own. So Hannah was in a situation of strife and division in her home, and she knew, she knew that the issue of not being able to conceive lay with her because her husband had had children by Penina. And you might be thinking, what, what's this with uh, more than one wife? We know that God's plan for marriage, uh, which is given to us in Genesis at the beginning, when He created Adam and Eve, is that one woman and one man come together for life in the covenant of marriage. But during, certainly time, during this time in the Old Testament, the, the law of God tolerated polygamy, that is, that men would have more than one wife although, and as we see here in this story too, almost every account of polygamy we read about in the Old Testament shows us that it is not ideal, that it causes strife, it causes division, and it destroys families. There's no positive descriptions of polygamy in the Old Testament, just as a side note. So, Hannah was in a situation of strife but she, she knew that the issue of not being able to have children, that was her issue, that was something with her because her husband had children by his other wife. And so, in spite of this great difficulty that, that she was in, in her time and her culture, we observe that she lives up to her name. She is gracious. She doesn't respond in anger or bitterness to either Penina or her husband Elkanah, which is different to how Sarah Abraham's wife of old, had responded. Sarah responded both in bitterness and anger towards her husband, Abraham, and towards her maidservant, Hagar. Hannah doesn't respond that way. She doesn't create to or or add to the strife in the family. Yes, she's upset because she is human after all, this is humans of the Bible, but what she does with her grief and her misery is that she takes it to the Lord in prayer. She takes it to the Lord in prayer. And this is a reflection of her deep faith and trust in the Lord. She doesn't make a big thing of this. She she does it quietly, privately. She doesn't tell her family or Penina or Elkanah, I'm gonna go and pray for this. She just gets up quietly after the meal and heads to the tabernacle and prays to the Lord. In fact, she doesn't even pray out loud. She understands that it is only the Lord God who is able to do for her what He did in history for Sarah, when He granted Sarah a child, Isaac, in her old age or Rebekah. Only the Lord God will be able to change her so that she is able to have children. Her faith is not even shaken at Eli, who was the priest at that time, the, the spiritual leader of Israel, though he wasn't a faithful or good spiritual leader, yet he was the spiritual leader he was the chief priest of the time, her faith is not shaken at his misunderstanding of her prayer and insulting her by telling her that she's drunk with wine. Rather, as we read here, she leaves the tabernacle, she leaves the the temple, you could say, refreshed and quietly confident in the Lord, confident with faith, confides. Her face was no longer downcast and the Lord answers Hannah's prayer, and Hannah shows her faithfulness and dedication to the Lord. She doesn't, now now that she's received what her heart has desired, what her heart has longed for, she doesn't now renege on her vow, renege on her promise to the Lord, but she's prepared to give that which is most precious to her, her son, fully to the Lord. In that way, she is a, a model or a type like Abraham, who was prepared to give his blessed son Isaac to the Lord in sacrifice. So, just think about that on a personal level. I think it's, it's very hard for us to approach that kind of situation, that Hannah has been desiring children, desiring a son. She prays particularly for a son, certainly for a number of years, because Penina has more than one child, and having having the Lord hear her prayer and having now received what she'd so longed for and so prayed for, she's now, because of her great dedication to the Lord, she's now willing to give that up. She must have told Elkanah of this vow that she had made at the tabernacle and he must have upheld it because he too is therefore willing to give up a firstborn son from his beloved wife Hannah for the glory and the honour of the Lord. And so in her prayer at the dedication, that's the last 11 verses we read, we we just see how deep Hannah's faith is, her faith is in the Lord, it's a living and active faith, a faith like James talks about, it's not merely a a, a lip service paid to the Lord but Hannah backs it up through her dedication and her action in her life and not only is it a, 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 a faith that is shown in this prayer that is living and active it's not an individualistic faith centered on her own sense of fulfillment now as a, as a mother or even as a wife, but rather her prayer shows that she sees herself as part of God's people and she sees God's answer to prayer, therefore her vindication, her being proved right in some sense before her rival and, and in her family as part of God's vindicating and, and saving all His people. So Hannah is a woman and therefore a human being characterised by prayer, by faith and by dedication to the Lord God. And not only is she an example to us here on an individual level, she, she, she shows us, and, and as one commentator puts it, he says, the story makes it clear that the life and future of a nation, namely the nation of Israel, depends on the character of the home, on, on the character of the people in the home And that character of the people in the home depends on the spiritual life of the parents. And Hannah gives us a model there of prayer, faith and dedication to the Lord as a wife and as a mother. So let's take Hannah as an example of faith and trust in God, resting in His goodness of prayer and of seeing um, our God as supremely valuable, worthy of dedication. So Hannah is for us, personally, each one of us can look at her story and be inspired by Hannah as an example of trusting and having faith in God, of resting in His goodness, of being uh, diligent and faithful in prayer and also from Hannah's dedication of seeing the Lord, the Lord God as supremely valuable and therefore worthy of our dedication, worthy of giving up even a firstborn son for. As she prays in her prayer, there is no one holy like the Lord there is no one besides you, there is no rock like our God. So that's the Hannah at a personal level, but beyond the level of Hannah as an example to us, of a human, of a woman, of a mother, of a parent, of a faithful member of God's people, there is something deeper going on in this story. We, we hear later, as I mentioned before, that Hannah went on to have other children, three sons and two daughters. So, so why is not that part of Hannah's life told to us? Why is the cross-section that the Bible gives us, namely that surrounding Samuel's birth? Brandon said it two weeks ago in his introduction, as we go through humans of the Bible, we all, yes, yes it's humans of the Bible, yet we always want to bring God into the story, God as our Creator and as our Rescuer. So, firstly, as we think about what is, what is deep that is going on here, let's remind ourselves how the Samuel story ends. This young boy who is given to Hannah, Samuel, and whom she then dedicates to the Lord at the tabernacle, is raised up by God as a prophet and a Levite, uh, that is, a teacher of the law to Israel, and as a judge who is faithful to God. Through Samuel, God pronounces judgment on the corrupt priesthood of the time of Eli and his two sons, through Samuel, God defeats the Philistines, the enemies of Israel on the battlefield. And through Samuel, he anoints, yes, Saul, but later David as the king. David being the man after God's own heart who will usher in a golden age for Israel, for the people of the Lord. And so basically, we can sum that up and say the Hannah and Samuel story is a story of salvation coming to Israel. Israel was in that time of the judges, hopeless under oppression and foreign domination, engaged in idolatry and through Hannah's prayer and the, and the gift of Samuel, God works salvation. Now remember what Jesus says to the two disciples on the road to Emmaus on the day of resurrection, we looked at it a few uh, weeks ago on a Sunday morning here, as we finished up our series through Luke. Jesus says there, Luke twenty four twenty seven beginning with Moses and all the prophets, that is, beginning with the Torah and the rest of the Old Testament, Jesus explained to the disciples what was said in all the Scriptures concerning, not the history of Israel, but concerning Himself, Himself. So, Jesus says that all of Scripture points to Him and indeed speaks to Him, not just points to Him in some, in some way, but speaks of Jesus. Well, how might this be so? This is where our verse from Genesis comes in that was read to us at the beginning by Fabien, and you'll remember from Adam two weeks ago that this—the verses that Fabien read—I'll read them to you again in a moment. This was the curse and the promise that God spoke to the serpent, to the devil, after the fall. Genesis three fourteen and fifteen. Let's remind ourselves of them. There we read the Lord God said to the serpent, because you have done this, because you have tempted the woman and the man and led them into sin, but particularly the woman, listen why, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and all wild animals. You'll crawl on your belly and you'll eat dust all the days of your life. And here's the connection, I will put enmity, that is, you will be enemies, enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring, your seed, your children, and hers. He, that is the offspring of the woman, the child of the woman, the seed of the woman, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. These verses are often termed the proto-evangelium or evangelium, that is the very first seed of the Gospel, the promise of a rescuer. And what does it say? What is the promise? The offspring, that is the child of the woman, will be the one to destroy the devil. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. Well, we take that striking of the heel to be the crucifixion that Jesus suffered, but in doing so, he crushed the head of the devil. But don't miss the point here, the foundational promise of salvation is the promise of a son, the promise of a child. I love how one writer has put it, human destiny rests with a mother and her son. Human destiny rests with a mother and her son. The foundational promise of salvation is a promise of a child, of a son. A child, children, children always represent a new beginning, a new future, a new possibility where none existed before. And so, this theme begins right at the beginning, and it goes all the way through Scripture, all the way through the Bible, of God giving a child, symbolising, yes, symbolising salvation, but symbolising a new beginning, a new future, and a new possibility when none existed. And this theme begins of God giving a child in often extraordinary circumstances. We think of uh, Moses being given to his parents and they were unable to keep him, had to put him in a basket of reeds on the River Nile. But, but oftentimes this theme is such that God gives a child or a son to a childless couple in order to signify His power and His salvation. So think of Abraham and Sarah when they were old, as Paul said, that they were as good as dead and yet they were given Isaac in their old age. Isaac grows up and marries Rebekah, and it's said that when he married Rebekah, Rebekah was barren, she was childless, and Isaac had to ask the Lord that he would open her womb, that she could conceive Esau and Jacob. Jacob then married Rachel, and it said also of Rachel that she was barren, and Jacob had to ask the Lord that he would be merciful. Not only that, Samson in the time of the judges was given to a couple, Manoah and his wife, who could have no children. And then we get to this story, Samuel is given as a gift to Elkanah and Hannah, where Hannah is barren, where she is childless, she can have no children. And so on, all the way down through the Scriptures, down to the New Testament, we think of the stories related to us at the beginning of Luke's Gospel. Elizabeth and Zechariah are in their old age and they are given the gift of a son, John the Baptist. Elizabeth had been barren all her life, she was past the age of childbearing and yet the word of the Lord came to her husband Zechariah as he was serving in the temple and in her old age and in her barrenness she was given the gift of a son, John the Baptist, who would prepare the way for the Messiah Jesus. And this theme finds its fulfilment in the Virgin Mary, the Virgin Mary. That's an extraordinary circumstance in which to receive a child. Mary is the new Eve, and she miraculously gives birth to a son, the Saviour, Jesus Christ. I hope you see the theme here running through Scripture. We are supposed to pick up these echoes as we read the Bible, both to understand Jesus, as He said, the Scriptures speak of me, they point to me, but also to see God's faithfulness again and again in saving His people, indeed in saving the world. Let me put it this way for you, let me make this statement, childbearing, giving birth to a child is an event ordained by God to bring about the salvation of the world and not just in an abstract way but concretely, it is through childbearing that the Messiah, the Saviour, the seed of the woman, the one who will crush the serpent's head, it's through a birth, a real birth, that the Saviour will be born into this world. Being born of a mother, that's the threshold over which the Creator stepped into creation, into the incarnation, the enfleshment of God. Hannah, just like Eve, who is termed the mother of all living, Hannah represents, as Eve does, in some sense, the people of God, It's she who receives a double portion from her husband or a special portion, it could also be translated Elkanah, who who loves her, her husband loves her and even though she's barren, she's pleading in prayer for a better future. In that way she mirrors the people of God in this time where the the other nations round about seem to be blessed, seem to be doing well and the people of God are languishing and their oppression, not going into the future that God has promised them and so they call out, as Hannah does, in prayer, pleading for a better future and God hears and remembers and blesses them and makes them fruitful. That's why Hannah's prayer is not an individualistic prayer about, oh, now I've got a son and I'm so thankful for me and my husband and our family. She sees that in answering her prayer, God is in some way vindicating His people and bringing salvation for His people. God hears her prayer and remembers her, blesses her and makes her fruitful and that's what God does for His people through history as well. One commentator writes, it's an awesome fact that humanly speaking, the future of the nation at the time of Hannah rested with this godly woman's prayers and yet how much in history has depended on the prayers of suffering and sacrificing people, especially mothers. Just like Elizabeth and the Virgin Mary, Hannah receives her son, Samuel, as a divine gift, that is a gift from God, a gift of God to be dedicated to God. John the Baptist would be dedicated to God. Isaac and Jacob were dedicated to God. Samson was dedicated to God. Moses was dedicated to God. Jesus, of course, the supreme example, dedicated to God. I'm here to do and to speak the will of my Father, the will of Him who sent me. Hannah receives her son as a gift of God, to be dedicated to God, who is a part of God's plan for the future of His people and for their salvation. And this is the image which is at the end taken up by the Apostle John in his vision in Revelation chapter 12. Let me read you those verses, Revelation 12, 1 through 6. A great sign, sign is supposed to signify something, we're supposed to understand the meaning. A great sign appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her head, a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant and cried out in pain as she was about to give birth. Then another sign appeared in heaven, an enormous red dragon with seven heads and 10 horns and seven crowns on on its heads. Its tail swept a third of the stars out of the sky and flung them to earth, The dragon stood in front of the woman who was about to give birth so that it might devour her child the moment he was born. She gave birth to a son, a male child who will rule all the nations with an iron scepter. And her child was snatched up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness to a place prepared for her by God where she might be taken care of. So this theme running through all of scripture, it finds its culmination or its significance in this vision given to the Apostle John in the Revelation. So, Hannah, we can say, is a precursor, that is, one who comes before and signifies and points to and in some way is a type of, is an example of, Mary. Anna is a precursor to Mary, she's a type on the journey from the first Eve in the Garden of Eden to Mary who is the new Eve. Mary is the mother of Jesus Christ and therefore the mother of all the living, those who are born into new life through the new Adam, the second Adam, Jesus Christ. And that's why what Brandon said is so true, we can never separate God's sovereignty and authorship of salvation from the human beings, the concrete, the, the real, flesh and blood human beings he uses through all times and in all places in history in order to work out his plan. Samuel himself is a precursor and a type, he points to Jesus Christ. His name can not only mean heard of God, from the Hebrew Shema, from hearing, but also Shem, meaning name, such that his name could be understood as His name is God. In that sense, he is also a precursor and type of Jesus Christ. So, Hannah, like Elizabeth and Mary, the Virgin Mary, she experiences motherhood not as something tangential or marginal or or arbitrary in her life, but rather as an affirmation of her alignment with the work and plan of God and a participation in the salvation of the people of her people, indeed, in the salvation of the world. let me say that again. Hannah, just like Mary and Elizabeth, experiences motherhood, not as something that has nothing to do with what God is doing in her life, that is merely a tangential thing that's happening in her family or at home, and what the real thing is what God's calling her to do somewhere else. No, no, she experiences motherhood not as marginal, or arbitrary, or tangential, but as an affirmation of her alignment with the work and plan of God, and a participation in the salvation of her people, indeed, in the salvation of the world. Why? Because, as I said some moments ago, going back to Genesis three fifteen, the foundational promise of salvation is the promise of a child, and human destiny rests with a mother and her son, and these women, and the sons of the Old Testament, Eve and Seth, Sarah and Isaac, Rebecca and Jacob, Hannah and Samuel, they're not only themselves the real means, the real flesh and blood human beings that God used in order to save and preserve His real people down through time until the fullness of time had come and Jesus could be born, but they're also types, foreshadowing, pointing to the ultimate revelation of salvation in Jesus, the Son of Mary. Where indeed Mary participates in the salvation of the world. Think about this for a moment. If we are saved by God becoming man in Jesus Christ, and therefore God both touching our humanity in Jesus, because Jesus is truly God and truly man, he has clothed his divine nature with our human nature, so touched our human nature in order to heal it, in order to raise it up at the resurrection, and we are saved by Jesus doing that, touching our humanity and also, of course, by not only healing our humanity but taking away our sin by forgiving us, by bearing the penalty on the cross. But if that's our salvation, then we could ask the question, is salvation exclusively male? In other words, can Jesus only be the saviour of 50% of the world, of men? And it's interesting, the early church had given thought to this question, they were aware of this question, that God being born as a man would ask the question, is salvation then something which is exclusively male? What about women? And the early church looked at it this way, they saw that there are in fact two human beings who are players in the Incarnation. Yes, Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God, but the other human being involved in the Incarnation is, of course, the Virgin Mary. Now, I'm not, in saying this, the early Church wasn't saying and I'm not saying that Mary is somehow the co-redemptorix or uh, co-redemptor, as uh, some sections of the Roman Catholic Communion have emphasised that in some way she is on an equal level with Jesus in actually um, effecting our redemption, that's not what I'm saying or what the early Church said. But rather, in Mary, we see the perfect human response to the coming of God. Luke 1, 38, when the angel announces the birth of Jesus to Mary, she says, she responds, she, she gives the perfect human response to God. She says, I am the Lord's servant. Sound familiar? That's what Hannah said. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. And I see Hannah's response in a similar way. And and therefore, it's not that the nature of woman or women is somehow alien or unknown to Jesus or foreign to Him, because in the incarnation, in God becoming man man, or taking on flesh, taking on human nature, that the the incarnation of God becoming our Saviour in Jesus Christ happens through the fulfillment of the promise from the beginning, which was the promise of a child, the promise of a son, the promised act of childbearing and a real birth that brings about our salvation. Jesus, in fact, therefore, touches the nature of women because He's born of Mary and He's therefore able to bring healing and salvation to women just as much as to men. That's indeed how the early church sought to answer this question, seeing Jesus as touching not only the nature of men or maleness, but also touching the nature of woman at being not foreign to him and seeing these two players at the incarnation and therefore the fulfillment of what the Lord God had said to the serpent and also to Eve. The promised salvation will come through the birth of a son but that birth is central to it, the birth is not abstract, the birth is part of the promise and part of the fulfilment and part of the salvation. So, as we draw to a close uh, this evening, yes, 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 let us learn from the example of Hannah in prayer, in faith, in dedication, let us pray as Hannah prayed, quietly, not ostentatiously, Um, pray, let us pray having an awareness of ourselves as part of the people of God and not playing individualistically or self-centeredly. Let us imitate Hannah's faith that she rested in God as her rock, she trusted in Him, she built her life on Him and definitely let us imitate her dedication that she was willing to give up that which was in some sense most precious to her and devoted fully to the Lord. Yes, yes, let us learn from Hannah on that personal level. But let's not miss what Jesus says, that all of the Scriptures, all of the Bible speaks of Him and tells the story of God's glorious salvation of His people through Jesus. And that means that when God said, be fruitful and multiply, this wasn't just an arbitrary commandment that God wanted there to be lots of people on the earth. This was a foreshadowing of the history of salvation. And as He said today, not only at the beginning God gave the commandment to be fruitful and multiply, but then He gives the promise to Abraham, I will bless you, I will make you fruitful and your descendants, those who share your faith, Abraham, those are your descendants, they will be as numerous as stars in the sky and as sand on the seashore, that is the church. And see here, from Hannah's prayer, salvation, the salvation that the Lord brings, we see here from Hannah's prayer, is a salvation that turns the world upside down. Those who are rich and wealthy lose that rich, richness and wealth. Those who are full of food go away hungry, but the poor, those who are in the ash, are raised up by God. Those who have gone without food are given plenty by the Lord. Indeed, the woman who was barren has become the mother of seven children." Let me read to you this vision to close us off that the prophet Isaiah gives in chapter 54 of his prophecy, these first five verses. The future glory of Zion, the dwelling place of the Lord God. Sing, barren woman who never bore a child. Burst into song, shout for joy, you who were never in labor, because more are the children of the desolate woman than of her who has a husband, says the Lord. So much so that she should enlarge the place of your tent, stretch your tent curtains wide, do not hold back, lengthen your cords, strengthen your stakes, for you will spread out to the right and to the left. Your descendants will dispossess nations and settle in their desolate cities. Do not be afraid, you will not be put to shame. Do not fear disgrace, you will not be humiliated. You will forget the shame of your youth and remember no more the reproach, for your maker is your husband, the Lord Almighty is His name, the Holy One of Israel is your Redeemer, He is called the God of all the earth. God is sovereignly working out His salvation even in our day and we can look back in wonder and see the promise of salvation as the promise of a child and see in that the promise of the Incarnation, that God came near to us in jesus born of the virgin mary in order to save us all both men and women amen let me just pray now and then i'll finish with a blessing lord we thank you for your plan of salvation that it is not abstract It is not cosmic in that sense that it barely even touches our earth or our planet or our reality, but your plan of salvation works itself out in the very nitty-gritty of human life. It was through a birth that your Son came into the world, took on human nature, came close to us, took on our nature and therefore touched our nature and healed it, raising it up at the resurrection. You came... Jesus and you lived amongst us, you you, you came close to us, you know what it is to be human for you yourself are human. Even in this you are close to us and not far from us and that you experienced birth and death as we experienced them. We thank you therefore uh, Holy Spirit that you are not far off but near, very near to us. We pray that this that your yes to your creation, your yes to us would be in Christ Jesus, would, would, would really seep down into us as we see, as we perhaps perceive for the very first time this foundational promise that salvation would be through the birth of a child, that you would work in our world and in our humanity in order to save us. Give us eyes of faith to see where we can be at work today furthering your plan of salvation and building your kingdom in our humanity and in our world. Amen. All right guys, let me place you now uh, under a blessing. This trinitarian blessing comes from 2 Corinthians 13:14. And I encourage you if you can, um, even if you're maybe in a coffee shop, as we heard last week, uh, please stand to receive this blessing. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God the Father and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Amen. Alrighty, just before I go, let me just encourage you to subscribe to our YouTube channel, Uh, that way you'll be able, you'll be notified whenever a New Church at Five uh, sermon comes out and indeed when the church updates come out that are keeping you up to date with uh, all the news as things are moving really fast at the moment. And I've got good news for you, if you didn't see uh, the last update and maybe you haven't known up to now, Uh, next week or this coming week, we will be meeting together for the first in-person Church at Five service since the middle of March, it's been that long. Uh, You will have to register for that service, there are uh, limited spots obviously with the measures that are still in place to prevent the spread of the coronavirus. So, you'll be able to do that, the link will be live uh, on our website from tomorrow, that's ccfreiburg.de from tomorrow, I'm not sure exactly uh, when it will go live, so check back a couple of times during the day, and then register for the service, and I look forward to seeing you guys uh, for that service this week, and have a blessed Sunday, and we'll continue uh, next week as we go through Humans of the Bible. Be blessed.